When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who would never marry their sister's damaged goods under any circumstances. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Tuping Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, in our 100th episode, we are talking about 1994's Little Women. What do those girls do over there all day? Over the mysteries of female life, there is drawn a veil, best left undisturbed. Hark ye, revenge is mine, quoth he. Excellent. You ought to publish it, Joe, really. Columbia Pictures invites you to share the holidays with a family of little women. Joe. If I were gonna be a writer, I'd go to New York and pursue the stage. Are you shocked? Very. Meg. What's that strange smell? (laughs) You've ruined me! Beth. What's your Christmas wish? Perhaps we could send the Hummels our bread. They have so little and we have so much. Amy. I've waited my whole life to be kissed. And what if I miss it? I promise to kiss you before you die. Ho, 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 everyone. (laughs) Welcome back to the show. We are sitting in front of our (laughs) Christmas trees. You can barely see in the frame, but I have the fireplace, like one of those 24-hour fireplace videos playing on my TV just to add to the ambiance. It's our 100th episode. Yes, it is our 100th episode, which is, it kind of feels like it. I'm going (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) I actually have no perception of how that feels. I I don't really know. I don't have feelings about it. Same. It's just, it's part of the grind, 100%. But Audrey, I heard you prepared a little exercise in honor of our 100th episode. Okay, so instead of doing question for the culture this week, we're going to play a little game for our 100th episode where basically I'm going to give Hannah different (laughs) quotes from our episodes over the past two years, two and some years, and she's going to guess first the movie and then who said it or vice versa, depending on whatever comes first. (laughs) So feel free to guess along. It would be fun to know if we're like clockable. I'm sure we are. (laughs) Probably. We're going to see how many you can get. Okay. The first quote is, there was a really good deep cut Michelle Branch song at one point and I was really into that. That was definitely me. Yeah, that was you. But what do you remember what movie? My strong gut instinct is raise your voice. No. Season one. Season one? I don't even really know any deep cut Michelle Branch songs, so I don't even know. It It was Ice Princess. Oh, yes, that makes sense. Yeah, second quote. The logistics of any of them knowing how to play an instrument are shaky at best. (laughs) That's you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's me. I have a guess. I don't know if it's right. Is it Josie and the Pussycats? <laughs> no, but that does make sense to guess. Is it Thumbelina? No. What is it? It's Bratz. 
rock angels. That is so true. The logistics of them knowing how to play instruments are shaky at best. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I wasn't really that off with Josie and the Pussycats. That's pretty close. Okay. Okay. Next one is a weird woman forcing a group dance to Thriller would not revive a corporate flop party. (laughs) That was me. Yeah, that was you. And that's 13 going on 30, for yes. sure. <laughs> Correct. The next one is, you cannot put all of your weight on just your big toe. That is not possible. <laughs> that's you. Yeah. And it's uh, Titanic. Yes. Okay, the next one is, her boobs are like a major feature of this character. Okay, that has to be me. Yeah, it was you. I feel like when... You tell me what it is, I'm going to be like, I'm so right for that. It's pretty obvious. If you just think about characters that have boobs visibly. <laughs> is it Ariel? Yeah. In the Little Mermaid. Movie. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Little yeah. Mermaid too. Wow. Okay. Good hint. Okay. The next one is, that was the worst part when she was like, put the wig back on, Hannah. <laughs> Um, it's about the Hannah Montana movie. Yeah. Was it me? Yeah, it was you. Okay, okay. <laughs> I've got three more. I wrote down Rothbart's magic looking kind of good. <laughs> this is a trick question and I know what it is. It's Josh talking about a uh, swan princess. Yeah, correct. <laughs> That's a very Josh thing to say. Next one is, what did we learn? You can screw everyone over to to go have a crush on your dad. I'm going to say that that was you. Yes, that was me. And you can screw everyone over to go have a crush on your dad. I have no idea. This one is what a girl wants. Remember, she has a crush on Colin Firth. Yes. Her dad. Okay, so that's that. And then last one, she explains the dangers of cell phones. She's doomsday prepping. (laughs) Oh, 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 oh. It's talking about Miss Darvis in High School Musical. And was any of it me? No. It was Joe. Yes. (laughs) Wow. It It was Joe. Got it. Okay, technically I wrote 11, but this one I I wasn't going to say because it's just so obvious. But the last (laughs) one was going to be Hilary Duff has the acting range of a doorknob. (laughs) I feel like that was you who said that. No, it was you. (laughs) It was me? Okay. Yeah. And it has to have been Raise Your Voice. No, that was actually from a Cinderella story. And that just goes to show the amount that we've said on the internet over the past two years. Okay. Also, I feel the need to acknowledge Audrey and I have um, declared Little Women as a Christmas movie. It is a Christmas movie. It is. I would say it's more of a Christmas movie than than Samantha and American Girl holiday postures to be, even with that being its name. I agree. Okay, let's get into the facts regarding 1994's Little Women. Little Women was released on Christmas Day, 1994, and was rated PG. The movie was directed by Gillian Armstrong, who is best known for directing My Brilliant Career, Charlotte Gray, and Not 14 Again. Of course, this movie is based off the very, very, very famous novel, Little Women, by Louisa May Alcott. The movie and the novel, obviously, are very much autobiographical of Louisa May Alcott's life, which is very, like, it's, like, touching in a lot of ways and also very meta because then she's writing the book about her family and the movie and so on and so forth. But not only did she write this really, like, culturally defining novel, she was one of the first, like, great American female novelists. She wasn't like the beginning. I feel like it's more of like a Charlotte Bronte situation who was the beginning beginning, but she's a really important figure in the canon. She was a known abolitionist feminist and she remained unmarried her entire life. And here's a little quote that she said about that. I am more than half persuaded that I am a man's soul put by some freak of nature into a woman's body because I have fallen in love with so many pretty girls and never once the least bit with any man Whoa, I hadn't read that whole quote until right now. You know, there's a word for that. (laughs) (laughs) 
there's a lot of words for that. Like she's a she's a trans non-binary lesbian. Hello, everybody. This is Hannah from the day after we recorded the episode you're listening to right now. I'm here because I was just talking to my very queer therapist and it came up that Louisa May Alcott actually went by Lou. And as much as it felt like we were just shitposting with our last comments, and we were, it turns out that Lou is actually considered a transgender pioneer in a lot of ways. So I pulled a few things from this article published on LGBTQNation.com that I thought are worth hearing and listening to. From childhood to old age, Alcott repeated the same sentiments in her letters and journals. She didn't care for girls' things. She'd been born with a boy's spirit. She yearned to be a man, even describing herself as a gentleman and a man. Was Alcott a trans man? That vocabulary didn't exist in Alcott's time, but as the Louisa May Alcott Society says, so it's approved, it's so important to acknowledge that Alcott never fit a binary sex, gender, sexuality system. And yes, Alcott preferred being called Lou to being called Louisa. Alcott's closest and most affectionate relationships tended to be with men several years her junior. Throughout her middle age, Alcott maintained intense, affectionate relationships with several younger men, including two that inspired Lori. Alcott felt most free in her gender nonconformity. She described herself in her letters to her friend who was kind of romantic with the guy who inspired Lori as a gentleman at large and a man of all work. She wrote to him elated after that 1862 costume party describing how effectively she'd passed as a man. No one even knew me after we unmasked. The boys called me sir, pushed me around in the dressing room, and asked me to tie and pin them up, supposing I was a man. And then, last but not least, just regarding the story and how Joe ends up with a man. Joe should have maintained a literary spinster. She wrote a letter to friend Elizabeth Powell in 1875, but so many enthusiastic young ladies wrote to me clamorously demanding that she should marry Lori or somebody that I didn't dare refuse. She devised the character of Professor Bear, quote, out of perversity as a funny match to disappoint the little gossips who vowed that Lori and Joe should marry. She delighted in vexing her readers. I expect vials of wrath to be poured out upon my head, but rather enjoy the prospect. So, trans icon. But that being said, she still did have a couple like romantic affairs that I read about too. Um, but she like redacted them from her journals before she died. Like she didn't want anyone to know that they happened, which was really interesting. She was one of the founders of the Women's Educational and Industrial Union in Boston. And she grew up in Massachusetts, obviously. In the 1840s, she and her family served as station masters on the Underground Railroad, where they housed a fugitive slave for one week and had discussions with Frederick. Douglas. This is more about Little Women, but after Little Women, there was Little Men and Joe's Boys, and those stories are supposed to, like, complete the arc for Joe, but interestingly, those are not as, like, relevant in culture now. And the screenplay was written by Robin Swicord, who is really a very accomplished screenwriter. She wrote The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Memoirs of a Geisha, This Little Women, and the 2019 Little Women, and of course, Matilda, our Matilda, and Practical Magic. So here are the synopses. We've got the usual three. The first one from IMDb is Louisa May Alcott's autobiographical account of her life with her three sisters in Concord, Massachusetts in the 1860s. With their father fighting in the American Civil War, sisters Joe, Meg, Amy, and Beth are at home with their mother, a very outspoken woman for her time. The story tells us how the sisters grow up, find love, and find their place in the world. And the letterbox synopsis, with their father away as a chaplain in the Civil War, Joe, Meg, Beth, and Amy grow up with their mother in somewhat reduced circumstances. <laughs> they are a close family who inevitably have their squabbles and tragedies. But the bond holds even when later male friends start to become a part of the household. <laughs> I thought that was a really weird way to put the situation, but not yeah. wrong. And finally, Rotten Tomatoes, in this 1994 adaptation of Louisa May Alcott's classic, the March sisters confront growing pains, financial shortages, family tragedies, and romantic rivalries in mid-19th century Massachusetts. 
Joe <laughs> struggles for independence and sometimes clashes with her beloved mother and her sisters, Meg, Amy, and Beth. She also contends with their cranky Aunt March, their impulsive neighbor, Lori, and kind Lee Linguistics Professor Friedrich Baer. Only the third one actually included Baer and Lori with their That's names. True. That's <laughs> and true. Like and he, they are the catalysts to change in this story. So, and Brooks. I do enjoy that they are minimized in these synopses, though, because that very much speaks to the heart of the novel and the movie. Now we've got a few taglines. Uh, the first one is, the story that has lived in our hearts for generations now comes to the screen for the holidays. And the second one is, save a place in your heart for the unforgettable story of these, dot, 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 little women. <laughs> okay, Audrey, will you read us the cast too? Cast is really good. I think, you know, as we've talked about in the past, like sometimes we'll be like, this is this is just another group of white people. This one is like certainly another group of white people, but maybe some of the finest ones. <laughs> <laughs> Susan Sarandon and Winona and yeah. Kirsten Dunst. Like, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Susan Sarandon plays Mrs. March and she is known for Thelma and Louise, stepmom, and Rocky Horror, I actually, that's actually not in her top four. Rocky Horror isn't, but yeah, I put it there. To us, yeah. Winona Ryder plays Joe March. She is known for Heathers, Girl Interrupted, Edward Scissorhands, Mermaids, and Stranger Things. Trini Alvarado plays Meg March, and she's definitely the one who has had the least, like, parts since this movie. So she's known for mm -hmm. this film, and also she, like, um, she was like playing a part in um, this docu series, The Staircase. She was like playing the somebody in the recreations, which I was like, oh okay. And then Claire Danes plays Beth March, and she's best known for My So Called Life, Romeo and Juliet, the Boz Lerman version, and The Hours. Kirsten Dunst plays young Amy March. She is known for Spider Man, Melancholia, and Interview with a Vampire, as well as like Bring It On and everything else. Then we have Samantha Manis, who plays older Amy, and she's best known for American Psycho and something with Super Mario Brothers. I don't even know, ma'am. I don't even know. Then we have Christian Bale, who plays Laurie. He's known for The Dark Knight, Batman Begins, American Hustle, and American Psycho. Gabriel Byrne plays Friedrich Bear. He's very film legit. He's known for Miller's Crossing, Hereditary, and The Usual Suspects. And finally, Eric Stoltz plays John Brooks, and he's known for Pulp Fiction and The Butterfly Effect. Getting into these numbers, the budget for 1994's Little Women was $18 million. On opening weekend, which keep in mind was Christmas time 1994, the movie earned $2,411,247. Ultimately, it's all fine because the worldwide gross yeah. is $50 million. So they survived. So moving on to these critic and audience opinions, the critic score on Rotten Tomatoes was 93%. And the critic consensus is as follows. Thanks to a powerhouse lineup of talented actresses, Gillian Armstrong's take on Louisa May Alcott's Little Women proves that a timeless story can succeed no matter how many times it's told. 93% is also a really good rating for us. So then for these critic opinions, I just went straight to Mr. Ebert because I knew he would have reviewed it because it was 94 he gave it overall 3.5 stars. And the main essence of his review is that he was like, this isn't as corny as I thought it would be. But I thought the review was a little misogynistic and its undertones, like his expectations were really low for some reason. And I'm like, why would you think that? I took this excerpt from his review because I thought it was interesting. The buried issues in the story are quite modern. How must a woman negotiate the right path between society's notions of marriage and household and her own dreams of doing something really special all on her own? One day, their mother tells them, if you feel your value lies only in being merely decorative, I fear that someday you might find yourself believing that's all you really are. Time erodes all such beauty, but what it cannot diminish is the wonderful workings of your mind. Quite so. I mean, that makes sense that he would resonate with that. I feel like 90s men would think that sort of thing. Right. It's <laughs> it's very like, it's basic and it feels like a little bit like pre-legally blonde. 
esque, like if you're pretty, you're gonna be worthless when you're old, kind of is the vibe. But you theoretically can do it all. But that's when theoretically comes in, which speaks to why this is still relevant currently after all these years. It's really, really yeah. interesting. And we'll get into that one more later. But Audrey, what about this audience situation? Okay, so the audience score was 84% and the average letterbox rating was 3.8 stars, which is like on the higher end of average for a letterbox. Like that's pretty nice. We've got a few audience opinions. The first one is excellent acting, but just not as gripping as the 1933 version with Kate Hepburn. That one actually had me crying. Well, (laughs) I was like, I want to watch the 1933 version. Like I didn't even know that existed. So my interest is piqued with that one. The next one is better than the recent, better than the recent Oscar nominated film. Not really. We're going to talk about it in the second half, but they're extremely similar in my eyes. And the third one is, I feel like I'm missing something here. What was the point of this? I can understand the book being revolutionary for its time due to its treatment of women seeking paying careers. But even though I have a liking for period dramas and romances, I couldn't find myself either embracing the very bare bones characters or enjoying the meandering plot. Well, I'm so sorry. You just have to turn your brain on, okay? (laughs) So I'm so sorry for you. Wow. Yeah. Somebody said, cried like a fucking baby, experienced every single emotion at once, had a wonderful time, had an absolutely dreadful time. Five stars. The Amy and Lori couple was deaf, one of my childhood traumas. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, a nice way to start off the Christmas watching. (laughs) The Christmas movie marathon? I don't know what that means. Yeah. (laughs) It mentioned Christmas, though. So I was like, let's smack that one in there. Cultural context, I feel like we already sort of talked about that because of my information on Louisa May Alcott. But Audrey, when was the first time you watched this movie? What did you remember about it before we watched this again? I definitely had my latent Little Women phase in 2019 where I watched the new film, the Greta Gerwig directed film. And then I read the book right after that. And then I watched this version after that. So This was my last stop on the original Mm -hmm. phase that I had. And so, yeah, ever since I think I've I've read it twice and I've definitely seen both movies more than once, like maybe Mm -hmm. three times. There's just something about it. There's just something Mm -hmm. about it. But we'll talk about that in a second. I'm pretty sure that I saw the movie like at some point in high school, probably in like an English class situation. I remember when I went to see the new one, I remember like all the circumstances of it. So I probably saw it in high school, but I do think that this was the first time I like really committed and sat down and watched it. But I am familiar with the story, of course. Yeah, You need to read it. It's fun. I'm not really known for my literacy, but I will give it a shot. You were just saying that, I don't remember when it was, but you were just saying that you were reading before bed. That is true. But the problem is that it knocks me out so fast. I like can't get through it. Like I'll literally read two pages and I'll reread the same two pages like six nights in a row. Oh yeah. 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 Which is a good problem to have for me as someone with insomnia, but still I would like to actually read it. It would put you to sleep for sure. Little Women is available on Paramount+. Plus. It was free for once lately. You can also view Little Women on Amazon Prime. So if you want to give it a watch, get cozy in front of your Christmas tree, maybe like a little hot chocolate, maybe a little tea, and then meet us back here to discuss. That would be good. Hello everyone, my name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, Next Best Picture. 
Bet.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. Darling, dear sister, are you ready to talk about Little Women? <laughs> One of my thoughts after watching it this time was like, you know how in the past we've talked about how sisters who touch each other a lot make us uncomfortable? Yes. <laughs> that This movie is that. I'm like, it's cute, but also can you like give each what other did some we space? Miss? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like what did we miss there? Our family really isn't that touchy in general, though. no. Relatively, not at all. Because it's not that we won't. I feel like that's the difference. It just has to be like initiated. I do feel like we could just like get right. Because I mean, if we start out with things we appreciate, like I feel like it's kind of boring. Like there's a lot of like big issues and a lot of like. Yeah. Interesting topics presented. Yeah. In this film. I think we should just get into it. But I do want to say one thing. I saw this TikTok the other day that was describing how when white people say they have no culture, it's like secretly a white supremacist thing. Yeah, it's because it's like white people often see themselves as um, a non-group, like the a baseline. And so yeah. any deviation from that would somehow be different. And it's like, no, actually right. white people are you are a culture like you yes I remember thinking like growing up that like we didn't have an accent because um of the fact that newscasters would come to our area to take in the the accent and stuff or like just like how bland it was I don't know but I remember thinking that as a kid like oh we must the way we talk must be like the baseline like I just didn't know Yeah, well, any baseline is, like, established by something white supremacist, unfortunately, in America. But my point is, why I bring this up is that this movie is white culture at its finest. (laughs) And it's cool when you know that Louisa May Alcott did have this personal history of, like, feminism and abolition and stuff. It's like, even if she was really problematic, I feel like people would turn a blind eye because the story is so good. Because... That's what happens with a lot of white people in history. But hell yeah to her actually being like a good person and probably really gay. I do wonder though, like, and I just can't actually know the answer answer to this, but like, were they talking like that at the time? I think, yeah. Like the way that they talk is really fun and like extra and you know how they they're always noting um like slang words and things like yeah don't say awful don't say wretched like it's a slang term yeah I would assume that that is true to life because like why would Louisa write it if it wasn't true to life but it's just funny to think about kids saying like she looked much altered like (laughs) yeah 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 I do think that that is probably how people talked though because why else would they have it that way I mean, I know they weren't talking like us, <laughs> clearly. But no, certainly not. <laughs> People are definitely going to look back at this period of time and be like, did they really talk like that? Yeah. And it's going to be like, unfortunately, yes. And there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hours of documentation of how we all talk. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Isn't it weird to think that like we could be grandparents someday and like, our grandchildren could listen to this. Mm-hmm. Isn't that unsettling? It's cool. I, I choose to yeah. look at that as a cool thing. Yeah, I don't know. But it just depends on like, will the technology hold up? Like, will all of these platforms that we use become, you know, that they will become obsolete at some point, but how? 
Like, when is social media going to hit a critical mass and people are going to walk away from it? Like, I'm wondering if that will happen at any point. I don't think it's not that, like, it will go away. It's that it will just change. And it w- at some point, we'll no longer, we won't have the platforms that we do. So, okay, getting back to the movie. It's, it's already interesting that this is stirring up so much in us. But, like, for some reason... With both of the Little Women movies, I haven't seen the new one in a long time, but with this one, as I experienced today, it's like something about it is just so like touching the whole time. Like even before anything bad happens, you're like, why am I crying? Like why? Yeah. And I wrote, is it because of the full dimension, like the the fully dimensional rendering of all these women in this time period where it was super, super rare, because it's not really the story at that point that makes you feel that way. But I was wondering, like, why do you think it's like that? I'm like a prime target for this sort of thing. Like, I feel Mm -hmm. like, yeah, like, it's not surprising that it would make me cry. Like, I'm I'm right for it, you know? But, but why um, are you right for it? Just because, like, it really aligns with, like, a Mr. Rogers-type vibe. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, <laughs> like it all comes... It all relates somehow. Like, some sort of, like, sentimentality thing. Like, warmth. Yeah. Girls talking to each other. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like, it just has all yeah. the elements of something that I would like. Also, like, rich, like composition and like really rich production design and everything feels like warm and mm-hmm. it's it just like it's up my alley wouldn't you be salty as fuck if you were joe march though and amy comes back and she's engaged to your best friend i don't even know what i would do i feel like they really played down the rivalry in this version the burning of joe's story Yeah. Never becomes less unreal to me. I actually, that was a part um, where I actually teared up and I was surprised by it. Like I actually did tear up when she was that mad. And like when one, like we can certainly relate to it. Like we've never fought like that. Each person knows that they've done something wrong. And and they also both know that they have to make up. Like there isn't really another option. But like that level of rage was like crazy. Like, (laughs) But it makes sense. It makes sense. It's her life. It's like her life's work. I know, but like, how would you ever, I mean, I guess Amy's pretty young in that scene, but that is like so demonic to do. That would be like, yeah. imagine if I took your external drives of like the dock and like threw yeah. them in a river. Yeah. I mean, like it would be like, it would be like, it would it's change like losing the a relationship. Child. Yeah. Like yeah. it would change the relationship between the siblings. Like it just would. And that situation does set them up for their life, their like life's lives dynamic with each other. Yeah. They're not besties. Like they're, they're not besties, but obviously like what, because she saved her from a literal icy lake. She like, she like gets over it so fast in the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's also like, was Amy that mad just because she didn't get to go to the party? Is that it? Yeah. And it was, it's just like her, it's way more clear in the book, but she, she has all this like rage built up inside of her because she's too young to like go do anything and she's like so mm-hmm. bored and she like wants to be older and like be with a man so bad that oh, okay. um, she becomes just very jealous it's like jealousy basically yeah and she's always like Meg and Joe get to do everything and Beth is like girl you need to sit the fuck down <laughs> Like, I remember when I saw the 2019 version and it was Florence Pugh and that, like, I bought more, I think just because she was weirdly old to be playing like a 12-year-old or even younger than that. But in this version, I was like, there's no coming back from that transgression. Like, I just find that to be so bananas. But anyway. Speaking of Florence Pugh in that version, like, I understand why Greta ultimately would make the choice to have one actress play Amy, even though she is like way older than she should be, because that time divide in the 90s film does not work of um, everybody Mm -hmm. else looking 
exactly the same. And then Amy being an entirely different person. It doesn't work because they didn't do enough with everybody else to make them look older. I agree. I just don't like her performance. There's no continuity. The way that older Amy is acting is not the way that younger Amy would, like if Kirsten Dunst was able to play the older version, she would not, it wouldn't, that would not have been the performance. Yeah. You can make the argument that she be, she's becoming refined in France and that's why mm-hmm. she's like playing so coy and stuff and why she's so like kind of harsh and proper. And that does happen also in the book and that also happens in the 2019 version. Something about Samantha, Samantha Manis's performance, I just don't, it doesn't resonate with me, especially when you compare it to Florence's performance. She brings a yeah. lot more to it, I think. Yeah. I also, and I know we shouldn't make this like a compare and contrast with with that version, but I'm just going to make one more comparison, which is that other than Joe in this one, I felt, well, actually, that's not true. With Meg and Amy, I felt like I got to know them way better in the updated version, in the recent one. Yeah. But I felt like in this version, Beth made a bigger impact on me. Claire Danes looks so fucking sad and sick. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, are we gonna talk about the monologue right before she dies? I mean, yeah, sure. (laughs) What do you want to (laughs) say? That was like disturbingly sad. Yeah, how she's like, this is my my chance to be brave and like I'm going ahead of you guys for once and like it's crazy. And people used to die like that all the time. Like it wasn't uncommon. I don't know. I think a lot of people watch Little Women and they're like, Beth is boring. Beth sucks, blah, blah, blah. But Mm -hmm. like, I love her character. Like I, I really do. She's, when she's like, I love being home, but I don't like being left behind. First of all, dead. (laughs) She's dead, but also I'm dead. (laughs) Yeah. Which leads me to, I feel like an interesting thing in this movie, especially this version, is like how much the girls like romanticize home, like the idea of home. Yeah. um, and, And being home, but like, you know, when... Everyone else gets to leave by choice. And then when yeah. once they leave, they get to be like, oh, home, like, yeah. like this idyllic place. Whereas Beth is like stuck there, like suffering indefinitely. And it's just like fantasy versus reality when it comes to home. It's not like when you're at home, everything is going to be like untouched by tragedy. <laughs> when, when Joe gets up from her to close the window, I was like, girl, what the fuck? Yep. I was like, girl, she's going to die right now. Turn around, turn around, yep. turn around. Yep. It's like, if maybe yep. it's like one of those moments where it's like, if you had, if you hadn't, actually this kind of relates to the, not to say I'm reading a book, but <laughs> I'm reading, um, <laughs> The Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Mm -hmm. Didion. And it's about the passing of her husband and her daughter within the same relative time frame. And she's always, that book is very much about just basically her neuroses about, well, what if I had done this? Would the outcome had would the outcome have been different? Like all these various Mm -hmm. ways that things could have turned out a different way. And like, that is very much what Joe is going through in that scene. Yeah. She's like, well, what she has guilt about leaving home, but at the same time, that's what Beth would want her to do. Like it's hard to have both, both sides of that in your head. Yeah. And we can, we can all relate to that. Like no matter where you are in life, if you left home or not, or if you left and came back or whatever order, somebody in this movie is going through one of those things. Yeah, that is definitely true. It kind of reminds me of like, have you been seeing that meme that's like, just realize that the way you spend your days is the way you spend your life. <laughs> yeah. Or I saw one today that was like that picture of Sydney Sweeney like bawling in the bathroom yeah. in Euphoria. And it was like, just realize that. Well, there was one that was like, just realize that death is permanent. And I was like, please, I can't. I can't go down <laughs> that road right now. I mean, I feel like I spent a lot of time like 
whipping out an invisible compass and being like, is this the right decision? Is this the right thing? Blah, blah, blah. And there's really no way to know because there is no right answer to anything. No, but there are things that feel right and things that don't feel right. Yeah. Generally. (laughs) I feel like that, that really is like the guiding compass of like life choices is what feels in your gut right and what yeah that's really Uh, true thanks you're (laughs) so smart (laughs) I'm so wise it's crazy (laughs) speaking of sentimentality and things such such as that listen the pickwick chronicles or whatever the fuck it's called the games they play in the attic the the acting out and stuff that was us and Aaron and Julia yep as children. And even like, we even had our like Lori moment low key that one time we included our boy cousin in a. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is um, true. Thanks. He was really game for it too. Yeah. And it's like, that was his Lori moment. He had his Lori moment. Yeah. I think that Josh has his Lori moments as well. I mean, every man should. If, and if they don't, then they're not good, they're bad. Get them That's out. That's true. That is really, <laughs> really true. Even just like their their rules around how they like play with each other is so similar to how we felt. Yeah. As kids, like we had this like little um, closet thing under our stairs in our basement and mm-hmm. we made like <laughs> a charter Club. a clubhouse <laughs> if you will uh, yeah. out of it and it was kind of narnia-esque because it was a costume closet so we had like all these costumes and then if you go behind the costumes it was like this crawl space kind of that we like mm-hmm. decorated and then we put like a declaration on the wall and like yes we had pictures yes. we had it was called the rabbit hole <laughs> yeah was- and everyone decorated a plastic spoon, like, in a theme that represented them. And then we taped them to the walls. And it was also interesting because when we say crawl space, that sounds like it would be unpleasant. But this was, like, we, like, lived in a McMansion in middle school 100% and in high school. And so it was, like, a pristine room with like four foot tall ceilings um but there was carpet yeah like you couldn't stand you couldn't stand but like you could bring a lamp in there and when we moved mom let us leave our charter on the wall down there so I would like to think that the the family that moved in there discovered it yeah they're probably like what the fuck but yeah we like wrote a proclamation about how we would literally I mean it's so similar to little women it's kind of scary just like how we would share secrets and like how we would just like this the sacredness of it yeah that that feels really familiar like I'm like I feel bad for people who didn't have that I know, I know. And it's so not to get like super gender about it, but like, I really do think that it speaks to like the baseline inclinations of like feminine people that even in 1860, a representation from 1860 is holding up in 2022. Yeah. That's just really, it's like warm and comforting. And and that sort of, those sort of relationships have been, I mean, now it's becoming more often portrayed, but like generally speaking, almost not portrayed at all in this in the span of time that media has yeah. existed. And um, yeah. so when you see it, it's like, we know, <laughs> we know what that We've is. We've been there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm probably a combination of Meg and Joe at this point. Amy's just like a little bitch. Like, I don't know. Well, by the time... I don't know. She's got redeeming traits, especially in the 2019 one. Yeah. In this version, she's just pretty. They like did. And she burnt someone's book. Yeah. Yeah. And she shows up to the house. She says, oh, my God. Like, is it really okay with you that I married your best friend? And she's like, "Um, I was surprised. And she's like, okay. (laughs) The fact that she's like weirdly fine with it is a mystery. It makes her seem like she's extremely lesbian, but then she randomly marries that other guy. Well, yeah, and that's always been the major contradiction of Little Women. Uh, yeah. And the story behind it is that 
had Louisa had it her way, Joe would not have been in any romantic relationship at the end, but she was persuaded to add it and to keep it. Mm -hmm. So that's where that came from. And I feel like Bear is like the most acceptable version. Yeah, yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he would have to be really like educated and he would have to be He's really He's the closest like, to a lesbian that we can get. <laughs> yeah. So it like, yeah. it all adds up. Um, when you know that, but just know that like if the real version existed, they would not be together at the end. Like if it was more true to life and that would also add up with like, it would be nice for Joe to see that Lori is still in her family. Yeah. Regardless of the fact that she's not with him. But Bear for me complicates that. It's like, okay, well, how does she really care about this guy? Like, yeah, it doesn't add up all the way. I guess that's just because of 1868. Yeah, we have 1868 to blame. Yeah, she had to take one L and it was that, I guess, of the line. So I know we jumped ahead to the the Beth death scene, which I honestly didn't even get to that hard because I don't want to cry like I did on the <laughs> freaking Titanic episode, which by the way, I am wearing my this is an old timey movie necklace today. But when before that scene, like way in the beginning, where Winona is like, why do things have to change? Why can't they just stay the same? Mm -hmm. I like wrote that down because I was like, we're going to come back to this thematically. Kind of feel like that sentiment is like a little bit of why it's Christmassy in a way, mm -hmm. like in a lot of ways, like <laughs> not to be like the spirit of Christmas, um, but like the thing with Christmas for a lot of people is that it's like nostalgic and like, this is a day where we're not going to have problems. We're just going to enjoy each other's company and like appreciate the year that is coming to a close and like look forward to whatever's coming next theoretically. And over time, your Christmas situation does slightly change and you might not really notice it changing. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, life has progressed and that's a good thing, but it's also terrifying. And I feel like that is very much baked into this story as well. That's like one of the aspects of Joe that, that I like the most because I'm a very nostalgic person. There's a lot of reason. It's like, wouldn't it just be easier if we could just like be children and like not have to pay taxes and like yeah vibe? Because you can only realize so much when you're a child. Like, yeah, it's interesting. Like no matter what your life circumstances are, for the most part, like your brain is literally not, <laughs> your brain is literally not formed enough sometimes for you to understand you can't have a greater worldview. If you've had a non-messed up childhood. Yeah. Correct. Um, but uh, the reason I even said that is because I was just listening to this interview with Conan Gray, who's like the, the singer, Conan Gray, past YouTuber that I used to watch. Anyway, I was listening to this interview and he had a really difficult childhood and he was talking about how he actually did not realize, he did not know how bad his childhood was until he ha had a, a more adult perspective and some people to compare it to. Mm -hmm. Like he he thought what he was going through was normal and it definitely wasn't. So like yeah. sometimes regard like kids, even if they're not in the best circumstance, like they think their life is normal. They're resilient. They, yeah, mm -hmm. like they don't have the perspective to know, which is like scary, <laughs> but true. It, at least in the 2019 version, the line that people really loved was, and it's a scene that's added in that movie that isn't in this movie, that mm -hmm. is right before Meg goes and gets married. Joe is like pleading with her like to not do it. She's like, yeah, you'll be bored of him in two years and we'll be interesting forever. That's that's the line. Yeah. And Meg is like, girl, like this is what I want. You have to accept it. You have to basically you have to accept it. And that's really hard for Joe. Um, mm -hmm. It's just like retweet like that is hard. <laughs> like, yeah, I think that a really specific element of like being a woman who's friends with other women or family with other women or whatever is that you really, really, really have to let people make their own choices and their own mistakes along the way. Even when like in your gut, you're like, 
this is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. Not only do you risk messing up your relationship with that person, but like ultimately it's none of your business. Like everyone is going to take their life path and they're going to learn whatever the universe has in store for them. But to have the charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent to just straight up beg your sister to not (laughs) marry someone. And again, it wasn't included in this movie, but the will be interesting forever thing. Yeah. It's just so real. It's so real because... You don't hear... That is not something that would come out of a young man's mouth to another young man. No. (laughs) Like, that's straight anyway. (laughs) Like, that whole thing of, like, if you get married to this man as a woman, it will devoid you of your personality. Like it might. And like the fear yeah. of that, the fear of that um, is so real to this day. It's it might even so be more real. real. It might even be more real now because we're so, everyone's so aware of it versus back then. Right. It's like, well, it's the socially acceptable thing to do to let yourself lose some personality for the sake yeah. of your husband because there's certain things that you're expected now and like you have to change. Like that, that's basically what it was. Is like you actually have to change. It's not you can be yourself in a marriage. It's okay, time to go be a mother, basically. Yeah, right. And there's a lot of people that still operate that way in this country and it, and around the world. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think at least in our circles, it's like mm-hmm. now the, the logic is how can I be myself, um, particularly when it's a woman and a man, like cis yeah. gender, how can I try to resist that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're like in the hot seat of this dynamic because we grew up in suburban Ohio, but we went to NYU. So we know pretty extreme ends of the spectrum either way. And I feel like we're situated. I feel like I'm situated right in the middle. You're a little bit more on the New York end of the spectrum. And you know what else is crazy about it? Like even relating to, because I know maybe this is too personal, but like, you know, for a fact that if and when you enter a marriage um, with Josh, that nothing will change like inherently about you. And yet Mm -hmm. I would assume that in the back of your head, that person, that thing, whatever that is still exists. That's like, oh, like if I marry this, if I marry a man, it literally, if I marry a man, then somehow I'm like giving up. (laughs) The jig is up. Yeah, literally I was going to say the same thing. And that to me is like the most evolved form of like a Louisa May Alcott state of mind. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's too personal. I think it's a really real thing. And I think about it a lot. And we have talked about getting married. And I feel like we've been married for a long time just because we like, that's dramatic, but like we instantly moved in together. We do everything together. Like really nothing would change on paper. But at the same time, it does feel a little bit like. It's like, well, well now I'm, now it's legal or like now it's in paper. Now it's set in stone. Like it, yeah, it's yeah. the answer. It's the be all end all, which is a, yeah. a positive thing if it's the right person and right. no matter who they are. But because of the way that we, like, it's just hilarious how we've come so far to the point where now it feels like marrying a man is alternative. Like, it's like, oh, like you really made a choice. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not that it's alternative. I think it's, it really varies for different people. I mean, I even have gays in my life that are getting engaged at this point. It's that Louisa May Alcott voice. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, liberty. It's, yeah, a, yeah. it's about liberty. It's about yeah freedom and flexibility and all that I feel like I really have that now and probably will have it in perpetuity like I have it but do I really use it I don't think I use it as much as I as I could yes I see what you mean and it's like yeah I don't know that's a hard one too because it's like no if you're in a relationship with anybody not necessarily man anybody you will likely fall into similar patterns as far as like Mm -hmm. not trying these things or not going out and doing this thing because you're just comfortable. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So like, but you could trick yourself into thinking that it's because you're in a relationship. Giving up on yourself? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm just making shit up, but. Yeah. Well, and I, I feel like it goes back to what you were saying where you were like, the, the part of you that wants to like resist becoming like some man's wife or like some man's girlfriend or whatever. Yeah. And, and what I'm saying about like the freedom that I have or whatever, it's like even something in me unconsciously sometimes I'm like, oh, all I like all I am is my relationship to other people or like to him. Yeah. Which like would never, no one's ever going to be like, that's who you are because it's not who you are. It's so, and it's so (laughs) interesting and like oddly comforting that all of this is being stirred up from something that was written in 1868. Yeah. It's like a little scary, but it's also comforting. That it is scary. Ever, things can change so much and so fast, but at the same time, the core, the emotional core of all that stuff and where what people are concerned about as humans and like what young women are concerned about is yeah. always somewhere close to where it's always been. Your tools and your, you know, like daily routines or whatever might change with the times, but like everybody still cares about the same things. Everyone wants to feel like loved and safe, but also not trapped. And I feel yeah. like those things can cancel each other out in different ways, almost. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's not often um, named in that way. Mm-hmm. Like people don't often equate, but that, I feel like that those, th- what did you say? You said feeling. I said loved, feeling safe and feeling trapped. Like life is basically just a balance of those three things. Yeah. To like maintain a healthy like mental state. It's like almost impossible to be directly in the middle of those three things at once for a long period of time. Like for, because that's not really the nature of life. Especially for women though. The trappedness, especially. Yeah. Because it's one of those things where it, it goes back to the classic, like, can women have it all question? Yeah, we have not even really, we haven't even touched on actual motherhood, which obviously we're not Ugh. the experts on, but like, yeah, yeah, and we, we've talked about all this stuff and we haven't even touched on that element. And that is also a big part of Little Women. So. Maybe we'll save that one for if we ever come back to the 2019 <laughs> <one>. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, I feel like we, we kind of rarely are like, as a woman, this, you know, but yeah. I feel like in this situation specifically, it is called for. It is hard to confidently navigate life when a lot of the times there are systems that were set up hundreds of years ago by pilgrims and we're still <laughs> working through it, you know? It's hard sometimes I have to like zoom out because you're like, you know, you're in your body. You kind of forget Mm -hmm. like the optics of who you are (laughs) or Mm -hmm. like just like to perceive yourself from another perspective. And like, I just quit my job and like me trying to do that and how I approached it and all the super carefully worded ways Mm -hmm. that I went about that. It's so like it went fine. Everything's good. But like. I just don't imagine that a, like a man in my position at my age would ever take that much time to yeah. try to tiptoe around any sort yeah. of ego that may present itself. Yeah, I mean, I was copy editing the resignation email in yeah. iMessage. <laughs> yeah, and what's wild is like sometimes after I'm doing that, I'm like, am I just overthinking it? Could I just get away with saying whatever and it would actually be fine? Like if I, I don't have to finesse it for like six hours. And then it's like, mm. well, I don't really want to fuck around and find out if that is right, the case. Right, right. So then I'm like, well, it, it's just something that's innate in us. Something that we do without even thinking. Like, let me, let me figure out the exact way to, to make, to minimize any sort of conflict or like perceived ego that they might project onto me. Well, and in your situation too, I feel like it's particularly complicated because like, if you worked at like Target or something, you could be like, fuck these people, I'm quitting and I'm never coming back. Whereas in your situation, like it is a pretty interconnected industry that's relatively small. So you don't want to burn any bridges because if you're labeled as like a bitch, yeah, then especially at your age, it could be a problem. 
yeah, I just, I never want to burn bridges and I want things to go smoothly. But yeah, I just, I don't even know how that's related yeah. to little women, but I mean, well, hey, Joe, Joe does go to the publisher and she tries to get her stories yeah. published and they're like, these things aren't serious. And she's like, no, they are serious. And then Bear eventually is like, you can do better. And I feel like that actually is an interesting, that also is an interesting dichotomy because Bear isn't wrong in that case yeah. like he tells her to like dig for more and she does and she's happy she did it but those first people were being assholes <laughs> yes that is true <laughs> I I also think though going back to you editing the email and like not wanting to make waves or whatever it's interesting that you would think of that too just because like you are a pretty unapologetic person across the board like you are you, you are doing your thing. If someone doesn't get it or gets in your way, you're like, sorry, toots, I'm just here doing my thing. Um, and if you are on that level, think of, or like if, if you are still conscious about it, like think of how ultra conscious other women are about it. But it's funny to me that I get why you would perceive me that way because that's like all you've seen basically. Mm -hmm. But I think I'm a lot less tough <laughs> than you think I am. <laughs> You're really tough presenting to me. Yeah. Like I do try, I try to be because not like tough in like a bad way, but like in a, I'm going to do what I want way, but that doesn't stand up necessarily. It depends on who I'm around. Like I, that's how I want to be. But if I'm in a room with only my boss, then like, mm -hmm. it, it's not going to be like that. I'll, I'm going to be very, okay, ha ha ha. <laughs> so do you think it's your true nature to be like, quote unquote, tough? I mean, if I was never, if I was never intimidated or afraid of a consequence, then yeah, I think I would always, I would always be honest and I would always say exactly what I'm thinking. And it's not even conscious, but like literally you will just pick up on the vibes of a room and figure out how you need to be in that moment. But yeah, if I could, like, it kind of just goes with like <laughs> how I just never want to be a lackey and all that shit. Like I don't want to yeah. sugarcoat. I don't want to have to <laughs> sugarcoat. You can be nice and, and you don't, I'm not saying be rude, but just there's so much bullshitting. And it's like, we're wasting each other's time. Like if we yeah. could just be real. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. How do we even come back from where we just went? Uh, <laughs> Is it good? Is it worth watching? It's so, it's so worth watching and it's so worth discussing. Yeah. Like, look at us. Yeah, we've talked about like every quadrant of life. <laughs> yeah, like Louisa May Alcott really gave us something special with this one and just like shout out to her. Yeah, if you've never seen it, I mean, if you're not if you're not a big reader, I definitely recommend watching the 2019 one because I think there's some stronger performances, there's some scenes added, and like I like both versions, but I think the 2019 one wins for me a little bit. And yeah, definitely watch it. And in the, if you're intrigued, the book it, there's points of it that are like dated, obviously, but really just in terms of like the things that would be included in a novel. Like sometimes they're just talking about stuff that we can't really understand now culturally. Like they're using words and I don't know what they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got to give it a read. I think it would be really worth it. This was a, this was a ride. I knew this was going to be a ride, but it was a different ride than I thought it was going to be. So. Yeah. And like uh, to have such a real ass convo on our hundredth episode. <laughs> Good for us. It's kind of, I mean, we needed that. We needed that. We did need it. We did need it. And Louisa May Alcott makes it easy. If all of our source um, media and text was this rich, we would have absolutely no problem going yeah. off every every time. And that's and not to demean Bratz Rock Angels. <laughs> no. That is not to demean anything that we've covered. It's all culturally important. However... This episode proves 
why this has stayed relevant for so long. It really just proves the difference between media created for product, media created for cash money, and media created as art because it it is art. It, that's how it was created and why. Instead of yes. like with brats, it's like it it's commerce, you know. Yeah, right. Like this was someone's life's work and someone who lived yeah. a really interesting life and it is her story. So Timeless. thank you, Louisa. Timeless. <laughs> the last thing and that score though. That score, yeah. though, I should put, you know, you know, I'm going to put that score behind something yeah. in here. <laughs> yeah. I, one of our many emotional breakthroughs. Yeah. That's what yeah. we do. Okay. It's time to peddle our wares. <laughs> okay. You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at twopinkproductions.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Sleepover Cinema and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube every Thursday. We are still like 70 subscribers away from a thousand. Okay. Please keep it coming. You can follow me, Audrey, at Audrey Anna Leach on everything. You can follow me, Hannah, at Hannah Ray Leach on Instagram and at Lana Von Trapp on Twitter. And of course, if you're not in our Discord yet, you are missing out on some great conversations, some good memes, some good recommendations for various media. And we have a spot reserved for you. So go to the link in our episode description or on our show page at evergreenpodcast.com to join us. You can check out our merch at twopinkproductions.com slash shop. And if you would like a case to fi item, our code is 15sleepover <laughs> and those links are in our link tree. If you like the show, if you listen to this episode and you're like, damn, I have a friend who should hear this conversation, send it along. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Roll Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer is Michael D'Aloya and it is Christmas-themed theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Yes, absolutely. Okay, we'll be back next week. Bye. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.